Ecclesiastes 7 this morning, verses 1 through 14 that we've been kind of slowly working through. Remember, Solomon turned a corner, chapters 1 through 6. He was teaching how trying to find meaning, significance in the sin-cursed world all on your own. It's like trying to put together a million-piece puzzle of a polar bear in a snowstorm. It's impossible. It's frustrating. It's uh, a mystery that you'll never get, get accomplished. And all the pieces are all the same. Those are the worst kind of puzzles where all the pieces are the same. That's what he says is, is like this. And, but scattered throughout chapters 1 through 6, he does give encouragement. Um, and he gives teaching. But in chapter 7, he turns the corner or the, the hinge on the door turns and we start getting into more practical things where he gives us instruction of wisdom, how to skillfully apply God's word to everyday life. That's what wisdom is, the correct and skillful application of God's truth to everyday life. He uses Proverbs a lot. Remember the three different things I taught you about Proverbs last week? That's okay if you don't. I didn't either. I had to look them up again. Um, they're, they're pictures. It's not a film strip. It just gives you a little snapshot. It's based on the Mosaic Law. That's the, the air that it breathes and lived in. Um, and they're also given to us to teach us wisdom. They're given to apply God's truth to everyday life. So he has been teaching Proverbs here, um, helping us see the different things we need to be aware of as we go through life. And when we go through life, we can experience good things, uh, pleasant times. You can also experience very difficult ones. Verses 13 and 14, which God willing will consider next week, tells us about this. Consider, verse 13, the work of God. For who can make straight what he has made crooked? God is sovereign. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. So those pleasant times. But in the day of adversity or difficult times, consider, surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that man can find out nothing that will come after him. Today, we're going to look at verses 7 through 10. 7 through 10. Surely, oppression destroys a wise man's reason and a bribe debases the heart. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of the fools. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. So here, Solomon gives us four Proverbs. And these are different temptations that God warned you about, temptations to lead you away from a Christ-centered life. And we need to be thankful that God tells us these things. The first temptation, I put this way, you can be pressured to do what's wrong. You can be pressured to do what's wrong. You know what? It is, it is very possible you could really know your Bible. You could know your theology and have it down pat. And you could know how to rightly apply it to life. What's the W word there? Wisdom. 
And yet, you could be so pressured by different things that all that knowledge, all that wisdom is chucked out the window because of this temptation to be pressured to do what's wrong. How can that happen? The first part, he says, oppression, surely oppression destroys a wise man's reason. I put it this way, number one. Yielding to difficult circumstances will make you spiritually crazy. Yielding to difficult circumstances, maybe I should have said can make you or will make you spiritually crazy. And the idea of this, of of oppression and and the uh, extortion, sometimes it can be referred to as, this talks about times that it really gets hard. Life gets really difficult. You're pressured to make a decision. And the pressure from the hard circumstances is pressuring you to make the wrong decision. That's what's being talked about here. You're being pushed. It can be from an inanimate, as it were, circumstance. It could be from someone else. He is making your life hard. He's pushing your buttons. And you could yield to that. You know all the truth. You can have great wisdom but you just, one step, he pushed me over the edge. Powerful people can pressure you to do wrong and say, if you don't do this, uh, you're going to face some real hard times. And when you yield to that, I say here, that can make you spiritually crazy. It destroys a man's reason. It makes, you'll, you'll make a decision that makes no sense. It's irrational, the opposite of wisdom. You know the truth. You know how you're supposed to do it. And yet you go do the exact opposite thing. It's as if you've completely lost your mind and your senses. This word here is used in another passage that helps us get an an illustration of this. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 21 and verse 13. 1 Samuel 21, 13. David is being hunted by King Saul. Remember that? He goes from different place in the wilderness to different place. And finally he says, you know what? I and my army, we're going to go to the Philistine area. We're going to go to Gath, the city of Gath, and try to find sanctuary with the enemies there. But people are finding out. Those Philistines are finding out who he is and David sees that this is not a good situation. I got to get out of here. How am I going to do it? And it says there that when David was at Gath, he changed his behavior. He pretended madness, scratching on the gates and letting his drool come down his beard. You remember what the Philistine king said? Don't I have enough wingnuts around here? That's in the Hebrew too. Enough crazy people? Get him out of here. This guy's lost his marbles. He's irrational. Makes no sense. And that's what can happen when someone or something is so pushing you. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And you go ahead and do it. And it's a spiritually crazy decision. The second part of verse 7, a bribe debases the heart. I put this way. Number two, yielding to an easier life brings spiritual corruption. Yielding 
to an easier life brings spiritual corruption. Well, if the hard pressure isn't enough, the powers that be in your life, the boss, the uh, whoever it might be, or that circumstance, if that's not doing it, the powers that be, they can take a, a different tack, different route, and they could try to influence you. You know, if you would do this, we'll give you this money or this position, or we'll just turn the other way. We'll look the other way. If you will go ahead and do this, you know all your theology, you know it's wrong, but man, if they gave me that, think of the money I could give to missions. And we say, that's crazy. But people do this. They respond to those situations this way. If Satan isn't successful in persecuting you, he'll tempt you another way. Through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He doesn't care how. He has one aim, one goal. And that's to destroy you. He knows that you know the truth. He knows that you have wisdom. But he also knows you have a sin nature. He knows that you like good-looking things. He knows that you want to appear in in a a good view. And so he, if he's not successful by pressuring you to do something, he'll lure you with this other bait. And when you choose to live the easier life, that will corrupt you. The good person that you were dies. The spiritual wealth you had wasted. The wisdom that you had has become foolish. Selling your character for cash is always a bad deal. It's never a good bargain. It's always worthless. You can be pressured to sin. A second temptation, verse 8. The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So this other, another temptation leading you away from a Christ-controlled life is number two. You can be proud You can be proud of your position. This looks at the difference. This proverb looks at the difference between uh, starting and finishing and your attitude through it. Number one, Solomon tells us you need to focus on the whole race, not just how you start. Focus on the whole race, the entire race, not just how you start. The end of a thing is better than the beginning. Focus on the whole race, not just how you start. Uh, We tend to focus on the beginning. How you start is what matters. If you don't have a big start, you're going to fizzle out. And that is pride. That is pride. All the emphasis is on presentation and appearance and impression. And that is a dangerous temptation. Because what happens after you started, you've put all your eggs in this basket, as it were, and then... Something bad happens. Something wrong goes. Something goes wrong. 
it falls apart. It takes too long. You end up quitting. Don't puff up at the start. You need to focus on finishing. As a pastor, uh, since I've been here since 2000, well, the last month or two of 2004, but especially 2005, I've read a lot of church planting books over the years. I have heard men say, if you really want your church to get off well, you need to have everything in place. You need to start off with a bang and an excitement. And I always, I, I, I think about, you know, is it easy to start a fire with gasoline? Sure is. What kind of a bang will you have with a gasoline fire? I mean, it's like instant. But once the fuel's gone, then what? There's nothing there. We want, we need something that is lasting. Remember those logs that my dad would have in his wood burner? Remember what he called those? All-nighters, okay? That's what we need. So we started off with black and white bulletins, and I was told, never just do black and white. Where's the appeal? Now, this is from a church side, but the same thing can happen in your life and in your circumstances. It is foolish, it is the mark of unbelief to focus only on the beginning. The last two days, we've had two weddings, haven't we? How could we apply this to the weddings? Well, sadly, we know this. We've seen this. Where young couples, they put all the emphasis on the wedding ceremony instead of on preparing for marriage. This isn't to say that the wedding ceremony isn't important. It is important because through that ceremony, we want to draw our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want this to be a solemn and joyful time. But when young couples put all their marbles into that basket of their wedding ceremony and nothing into their hearts, nothing into preparing them for being a godly husband and wife, if the marriage crashes, what happens to the memory of the wedding then? The end of a thing is better than its beginning. The second part, the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Number two, focus on finishing, not fashion. Focus on finishing, not fashion. The idea here of in spirit at the end of the verse is this is your character, who you are deep down, who you really are. And our sin nature, what does our sin nature want to do? Our sin nature wants to pose and preen and look good. I joke usually um, uh, as we're finishing getting things ready for services on a Sunday, uh, I'll dash into the bathroom, our tiny little main floor bathroom, and I'll, I'll, I'll say to the ladies that are in there, I say, get out of the way, I got to do my hair. And they always, dad, stop it, it's not funny. And comb, 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 and I'm done. When we focus on posing and preening, our presentation, you know what that does? It really distracts you from a patient endurance because the emphasis is on now. 
And in a race, it's not how you start. It's not how you look, the pride that's there. It's how you endure and how you keep going and how you persevere. When you're proud, you can think that you can control what's going to happen. When you're proud, you can think you can control what's coming up. And you know how things are going to turn out. Do we need an illustration that this is foolish? How about Luke chapter 12, verse 19? Remember that foolish farmer? The parable of the rich barn builder? And he said, you have spoke to himself. You have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. This is an example of someone who is proud in spirit. However, we live in what kind of a world? A sin-cursed world. Things are going to happen that will mess everything up. And you need patience, perseverance, the patient in spirit. Patience is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So, number one, you need to be born again. This patience from God is not a natural thing. You must be born again to have this patience. You must be born again. You must, by faith, obey the Lord. And this is a hard lesson to learn. And that's part of the reason we read James 1. Counter all joy when you encounter different temptations and trials, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. God has you sovereignly go through hard times so that you'll look to him and that you'll learn patience. And that through thick or thin, you'll seek him and you'll submit to him. Don't focus on your looks. Focus on living a Christ-like life. Don't be swayed by this temptation to focus on presentation and appeal and your appearance. Focus on living for the Lord and living for Christ. Two other scriptures that you could look at sometime along this line. James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. And 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A third temptation that can come uh, to tempt you away from living a Christ-controlled life is in verse 9. Do not hasten in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. I'll put it this way, number three. You can have a hair-trigger temper. You can have a hair-trigger temper. The idea of a hair-trigger is it doesn't take much to pull that trigger and it's gonna, the gun's going to go off. Okay? A hair-trigger temper. So to help us see this, I'll use another illustration. Verse 9, don't hasten in your spirit to be angry. Don't have, number one, a short fuse. Don't have a short fuse. Um, fireworks growing up were illegal, but somehow 
Little firecrackers and M80s found their way into the hands of little Danny and Tommy Greenfield. Now that's scary, isn't it? I loved building models when I was a kid. I built, my favorite model was this B-17 bomber from World War II. And I worked hard while the fuselage was split, um, painting the dials and the guy that's in there. Uh, minute detail. And then I'm following the instructions and then it says to, to glue the fuselage together. So I did that. And then right after I did it, I'm like, I can't see any of the stuff inside that I just painted. I wasted that time. That was kind of frustrating. Somehow I got a model of a Chevy Chevette. Now, those of you who have no clue what a Chevy Chevette is, it's almost as bad as an AMC Gremlin. And if you have no idea what that is, think about a Ford Pinto. These are all horrific cars. Little boxy things. I don't know who gave me this Chevette, but I had this M80. Uh, we're going to have some fun here. I put that Chevette together, me and my buddy, Roger, who lived down the road. He had uh, cows, so we found a, a nice place where some cows' uh, hooves had put a nice deep spot hole in the ground and put the Chevette in there, and we put the M80 in there and lit it. We waited, and we waited, and, you know, we're, you're like this, and... Why isn't it going off? This is disappointing. And you know what happened then, right? Boom! And you're like, ah! <laughs> and plastic pieces go everywhere. So the next one, we, we didn't want to wait as long. So how do you make that M80 go quicker? Well, you take your scissors and you do what to the fuse? Instant gratification, right? It's also a good way to blow your hand off. Don't have a short fuse or hair trigger temper. Because we have a sudden nature, you know what we can do? We can blow up. We can do this. And that doesn't come from the Holy Spirit, does it? Let's give some Bible examples of quick tempers, short fuses. Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel gather to worship. Abel's worship is accepted by the Lord. Cain's isn't. Did Cain have a long fuse or a short fuse? And we know what happened there. 1 Samuel 25, a second example. 1 Samuel 25. David and his men still scrambling, trying to find a place to, to rest. They need food. They know this guy, Nabal. They've been guarding his flocks. Maybe Nabal can give us food. And Nabal says, I'm not going to help you at all. I don't know you. Who is David? David's hair trigger response is what? That's it. We're going to kill them all. Thankfully, Nabal's wise wife, Abigail, comes and protects David from such a foolish decision. A third and last example of a short fuse, hair trigger, quick, angry temper idea. Jonah chapter 4 verse 9. Jonah chapter 4 verse 9. Uh, yesterday afternoon was pretty hot, wasn't it? 
outside. We were trying to find protection from the sun uh, at the chapel for David's wedding. We expected that the chapel was going to be air conditioning. And so I wore my short sleeve shirt to Sarah's wedding and my long sleeve shirt to David's wedding. And guess what? It was not air conditioned. There were no fans in the building. Um, just trying to find some shade. Jonah is out in the sun, baking in the heat. God causes this little plant to grow. Sometimes it's translated gourd. We don't really know what kind of a plant it was, but it was, and Jonah was thankful for that. And then what happened to the plant? God caused it to wither and die. And, and Jonah says, well, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Is that what Jonah did? He got angry. And he said, it's right for me to be angry even to death. Uh, he had a short fuse, didn't he? Don't have a short fuse. Why? A reason's given at the rest of verse 9. Anger rests, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Number two, a quick temper is the work of the sin nature. A quick temper is the work of the sin nature. A short fuse, a quick trigger. That comes from our sin nature. Wouldn't it be great, Christian, if the moment you got saved, you didn't have a sin nature anymore? Wouldn't that be wonderful? You know, there's actually Christians who believe that. That's crazy. You just want to hang around them for a little bit till they sin again and say, so where'd that come from? The tendency to, to lash out without considering Christ's character and Christ's commands. So how can you lengthen the fuse? How can you change the trigger pressure, as it were? I'm going to be four, four helpful things along this line. And this is something we all struggle with in one way or another. First thing, just stop and don't say anything. Stop and don't say anything. Bite your tongue. Number two, assess what is going on. Assess what is going on. What's the situation? Remember, we're supposed to be controlled by God's truth and Christ's character. Don't say the first thing that comes to your mouth, so stop. Number two, assess what's going on. Then number three, scripture. Number three, scripture. What does the Bible say about Christ's character? What does the Bible say about Christ's command? What I should do in this circumstance right here? Stop yourself from the first thing that you want to do that's more than likely wrong. Think, assess what's going on in this situation. What does the Bible say about how I should act? And last number four, pray. Pray, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Help me to reflect your character. Help me to obey your commands. Does this mean that all anger is wrong? Well, Jesus got plenty angry, didn't he? He sure did. And his anger was a holy anger. Is God angry? Yep. I think it's Psalm Five or eight, it talks about how God is angry with the wicked every day. It is a holy and righteous anger. But that's not what's being talked about here. This is the anger of our sin nature. 
And we need the Lord's help to work through that. And the good news is, is he can and he will as you seek and follow him. A last temptation to lead you away from a Christ-centered life, verse 10. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. Number four, you can live a temptation to lead you away from a Christ-centered life. You can live in a different reality. You can live in a different reality. Do not say, why were the former days better than these? Solomon's warning here is this, number one. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Because what you're doing in this situation is you're in this particular circumstance in life and you stop, you drop everything and you look back to the past and you say, boy, those were the good old days. And you're wasting your life and what you're doing right now. The older you get, the easier it is to do that. Isn't it? The older you get, the easier it is to look at what you're experiencing now and you think back to those days when it was all beautiful sunrises and nice temperatures and beautiful sunsets and everybody loved each other and we didn't have political problems. And Solomon says, that's crazy. Don't do that. It's foolish. Young people don't have this problem. Why don't young people have this problem? Because they don't look at the good old days as great. Young people can have a different problem. Young people can look at what's going on now and say, this is crazy, or this is too old-fashioned. And they can long for a different reality, a virtual reality, that they can get through so many different means by getting into a book and escaping reality, watching something, social media, games. What does Solomon say about this? Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't waste your life. Whether you're longing for the good old days or better days, that wastes your life now. It isn't inquiring wisely, he says at the end of verse 10. It isn't, number two, living a Christ-like life. It isn't Christ-like living. It isn't Christ-like living. What's wrong with thinking that the old days are better or future imaginary days are better? What's wrong with that? Let me give you some reasons why this is wrong. One reason is it's short-sighted. You're only thinking about you. You're only thinking about the present, as it were. A second reason is you're being impatient. You're being impatient. Things aren't going to get any better. You're being impatient. A third reason. You really don't know the past. You say the old days are better, 
that shows you really don't know what the past was like. What have we learned about the past from Solomon? It's repeated anyway. There's a time for this and a time for that. And there's also nothing new under the sun. He said that thousands of years ago. In the good old days. Another reason that this isn't wise is you are responsible for how you live now. You are responsible for how you live now. Wisdom helps you live now, not someday. Wisdom helps you live now, not back in the old days. The whole concept of, you know, I wish I could go back in time is fantasy. It's not real. It's foolish. You're responsible for how you live now. One last reason that this is foolish is when you focus on, boy, I wish we could go on the old, day, the, the old days or I wish we could do this or this. I'm just going to devote myself to this uh, imaginary universe. When you do that, you miss out on the blessings that God has given now. Does God give blessings now as you love him and as you serve him, as you walk with him? He sure does. Have we seen some of those blessings the last couple days? Sure have. But if you're stuck in the past, or if you're in a completely dream world, you're going to completely miss out on these blessings that the Lord gives. You're not going to thank him for it. You're not going to be encouraged. Regardless of the point in human history, people are sinners. Regardless of the point in human history, the world is controlled by sin and Satan. Regardless of the point in human history, human history repeats itself, as we've seen in chapter 1 and chapter 3. Christian, look at these four things. Beware of being pressured to do what's wrong. Beware of being proud about your position. Beware of having a hair-trigger temper. Beware of living in a different reality. Think about this. Jesus, your Savior, experienced these very temptations. Really? He has experienced everything that we did, Hebrews tells us. Remember that? Well, let's consider the first one. Pressure to do what's wrong. Did Jesus experience opposition to do something different than what he should have done? Sure did. The last part of verse 7, a bribe debases the heart. Can you think of a circumstance in Jesus' life where someone came to him and said, if you do this, I'll give you this, and then you won't have to experience the cross? Remember when Satan tempted Jesus? Jesus experienced that. What about proud of your position? Well, let's consider that. Christ, the eternal Son of God, sat in the glories of heaven. And where did he come? He came and he was born in a stinking uh, uh, manger. Dirty. He grew up in no good Nazareth. 
finish his life with the shame of the cross. He humbled himself, Philippians 2 tells us, took on our flesh, even to the point of death. The third temptation, a hair-trigger temper. Who did Jesus live among? He lived among sinners, didn't he? Blatant sinners. Think about his disciples, whose spiritual gift was putting their foot in their mouth, especially Peter, who constantly were bumbling and bungling, but yet they could do some right things, but they just didn't get it. How many times the Lord Jesus was patient with them? Living in a different reality, Jesus didn't come to experience something that wasn't real. He came to do the Father's will. To obey him now. And to glorify the Lord. Christian brother, Christian sister, these are temptations that the Lord's told you about. Thank the Lord for that. Lord, thank you for this. Thank the Lord for the new birth. Thank the Lord for the spirit that indwells you. Thank the Lord for the scriptures that you have. Thank the Lord for his patience because we all give in to these at times, don't we? And yet the Lord forgives us as we confess it to him, as we strive to please him. And you're going to fail again. I wish that wasn't the case, but you still have a sin nature. You still have a sin nature. Learn from the Lord. Grow in him. Follow him. Heed by faith. Go in the strength of the Spirit. Look to Christ. Depend on him. Let's pray.